This morning we're in part eight of a nine-part uh, series that we've titled Nine Things You Simply Must Do. And if you're joining us for the first time this morning, I think it's uh, probably important for you to be able to know that you can uh, go online to brookside.net and you can watch the first uh, seven sermons that we've done up to this point in this series. The title of this series comes from a book with that title, a book written by Henry Cloud, Dr. Henry Cloud, who's a uh, clinical psychologist in California. More important than that, he's a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And we're actually going to be providing, uh, we ordered 200 books for, uh, to have up on the upper lobby next Sunday in case you're uh, interested in, in purchasing one of those books. Uh, the only thing you want to do is, uh, this time you want to bring cash to do that, and 10 bucks, that would help us out a lot. It's, it's a great book. I read it uh, when it first came out, and it's been fun reading it through again several times as part of this series. And uh, really what Dr. Cloud does in that book is he, he writes about nine principles that he's seen lived out by people who are very successful in every aspect of their, of their lives. And uh, the, really the premise behind this whole series is that the God who created us not only, not only loves us, which is an amazing in itself, but he, he desires for us to be able to have a life that is, goes way beyond just simply getting by, where somehow we make it through life. God wants all of us to be able to have a life that goes far beyond this, a life where we're able to thrive uh, in every area of the life that we live. So it's got a great deal of value to it. And I've, I've laughed at myself as I've gone through this series and kind of gone through the same thing that I went through uh, several years ago when I read this book. It's like when I came across the first principle and dug into it and dug into scripture with it, it was like, that's the most important one, you know? And, and, then, and then we got into number two and I got, no, that, that, that must be it, you know? And, and all the way through, it's like, this has got to be the one that's the most valuable of, of all of them. And I finally came down to the point of saying they're all valuable. You know, let's not try to figure which, which one has the greatest value. And, and today, really, that this eighth principle that we're looking at is a case in point. It's, it's, it's a life changer. Live it out, and you will, be, you will find that life will go very well for you. It will you know, it give you a lot of success in your life, both in terms of what you, can, what you can do for other people and what you can do for yourself. Now, the, the great thing about this is that wherever you're at on your spiritual journey, this is true. You, you might be here today and you're beginning to ask questions about God and about faith, or it might be that Jesus Christ has been an integral part of your life uh, for more years than you can count, for a very very long time you've been walking with Jesus Christ and believing in him as the Son of God. Whichever way it is, whether you're beginning or you're far along in your spiritual journey, what we're going to talk about this morning is going to be very helpful for you. It can be very practical. And so, I, you know, I'll say again what I've said, I think, every time I've uh, preached in this series, is this is really a privilege for me to be able to share this with you. This morning, I've been excited about it, and, and so here's the principle. It's a, very, it's a very simple one. It's just, it's two words, 
And, and the two words are, be humble. Uh, be humble. Be humble. Uh, Webster's Dictionary uh, gives this definition of the word humility. And you're, you're not arrogant or assertive. Uh, offered in a spirit of deference or submission. For example, a humble apology. Ranking low in hierarchy, insignificant, unpretentious. Now, get to know someone who lives out each one of these aspects of what it means to be humble, and it's easy to understand why this person is very successful in their life. If you, if you spend any time with them and you, you, you watch them and you see that they're not arrogant, you see that they defer to others, you see that they're, they're always the one who's willing to step back and, and, and take second place. They're willing to serve other people. This is somebody that is very easy to respect. You, you respect them. You trust them. And, and honestly, you, you enjoy being around them. They're just a good person to be around. They're a great person. Without doubt, humility is one of the most admired qualities that we see in the lives of other people. And, and I would say definitely, and I know this from Scripture, that humility is a quality in our life that has a great deal of value to God. God puts it way up there in terms of what's important and what God wants in each one of our lives. In fact, it was humility that led the Apostle Paul to make what perhaps is one of the most defining statements about Jesus Christ. And he did it in, his, in, this, in the second chapter of his letter to the, uh, to the Philippian Christians, uh, in the book of Philippians, and, and where he, he's writing to them about the importance of humility in their lives. And he said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then he said this, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a, as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. I mean, Humility doesn't get any greater than that. The eternal Son of God willing to give up all the glory and all the power that had been his in heaven for all of eternity and to step down and humble himself by becoming one with us in our humanity and then even willing to go to the point where he humbled himself and he died on a cross for our sin. He took our sin on himself. That is humility at its absolute best. So you look at that, you, all you have to do is read a scripture like that. It's no surprise that Dr. Cloud includes this principle, be humble, in the nine principles that he sees lived out in people who are very successful in every area of their lives. And I, I really love the definition that he gives for humility. He said, humility is not having a need to be more than you are. Okay, I just want to give you a second to write that down because it's really very profound. Humility is not having a need to be more than you are. <laughs> Live with this kind of attitude, and it impacts what you do and how you respond to people 
in every situation in which you find yourself in life. You're, you're, you're not driven by, by this, this need that you've got to impress other people. You, you, you have no desire to act like you know it all. And you're, you're always open to learning from others. So here's what I'd like to do today. I'd, I'd, I'd like to look at two ways this kind of humility leads to success. Success at the greatest and the deepest level possible. It's, it's where all of life is working for you, where, where you're able to live with a profound sense of, of purpose and joy that's not dependent on your circumstances or dependent upon other people. It's where you're able to max out the one life that God's given you to live. So, first of all, we're going to look and see how this is true and what it makes possible for you to do for others so that other people are able to succeed in their, their lives. And so here's, here's the first point. The way, the way I'd like to put it is that humility identifies with others. Um, especially humility identifies with others in their humanity and in their, in their weaknesses. So let me, let me explain it this way. Have... have have you ever had the experience in your life, and this is almost like a rhetorical question, I'm assuming we all have, have you ever had the experience in your life where you've blown it big time, where you failed at something? Either you did something that was dumber than dumb, or you did something that was really seriously morally wrong. You know, it was the wrong thing. You shouldn't have done it. It was harmful, it was hurtful to other people. And, and when you did that, you reached out to someone to, to, that you respected, that you trusted, to help you work through it. Someone that you knew loved you. But as much as you knew that that person loved you and cared for you, there was still this hesitancy within you to, to really spill it all out and tell them what you had done. You know, what I, you know what I'm talking about? Because you, did, you, you, you thought you knew how they would respond, but you weren't sure because what you did was so dumb or so wrong that it would have been very easy for that person to have looked at you like, what, you, you idiot? You know, you know or, or if, it, if, if it was morally wrong to, to just cut you off and not, not really want to have anything to do with you anymore. You, they, they would give you that look and you would know it was like that friendship was over. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Where they would be down on you and hard on you, but they weren't. They assured you of their love, and as important as that, knowing that they loved you, they did something else that was so incredibly important. They identified with you in your failure. One of the first things they said to you was, you know what, I've, I've failed in my life. I've done some really dumb stuff in my life. And when they said that, said that you almost felt like this, this sense of relief within yourself that, yeah, they're going to understand, they're going to understand me, they're going to be able to help me. You know what I'm talking about? What a difference that makes when they do that. And then they, they speak words of kindness in, into you, and, and they, 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 they speak of their confidence in you that, that it's going to be okay, and you can work your way out of this, and you can correct the things that you did that were wrong. It makes a huge difference. 
I've, I think I told this story a number of years ago in another sermon, but one of my most treasured memories of my dad is when my dad did this for me. I'm just gonna, this is a quick story. I'm going to give you, it's, it's a long story, but I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version of it when my dad did this for me. Back in, in, in our church in Wisconsin, after five years of ministry in that church, uh, uh, I made a decision to stop being a pastor and to move to Texas and to uh, join up with a, a good Christian, uh, a doctor friend of ours who had actually became a believer, del delivered our two children and uh, became a believer in Christ back in Wisconsin. He moved to Texas, and he was back on vacation. Before the evening was over, we talked each other into that I should move to Texas, Becky also, and, and, and our kids, and, and set up a Christian counseling center with him. I, I, didn't really, I, I didn't really have a conversation with God about it. I didn't ask anybody else for any advice. It was just simply something that I wanted to do. And so I resigned from our church, what really surprised a lot of people. It was disappointing and frustrating to people. And we put our house on the market, and, and we moved to Texas. And it took me three months. And we actually, before we, I mean, we hadn't even sold our house in Wisconsin yet. We bought a house in Texas, so we were there. And it took... It took no more than three months for me to realize that I had made one very, very stupid mistake. All right? Becky loves to tell it that uh, uh, we bought our house in Texas on election day when Ronald Reagan got elected, and we were in the bank selling that house on, on inauguration day when he got installed in office. I mean, it's really kind of weird. We left town, so it was really quick. That, you know, one of the things that I did... Right away when I realized the mistake that I'd made was I called my dad. My dad, who at the time was one year older than I am right now when I was 30 years old. My dad, who was more surprised than anybody else, I think, that, that I was going to stop being a pastor. I called him to tell him what a dumb thing I'd done. Now, I, I was pretty upset. And it was one of those times when my dad could have said to me, well, if you would have just asked me, I would have saved you a lot of trouble. You know, I would have told you it was a dumb idea. But my dad didn't do that. Instead, my dad humbled himself. He identified with me in my weakness, and he said to me, I'll never forget, he said, Steve, I've made mistakes in my life. I've made some, you know, dumb mistakes. I've done things that I regret. Steve, you, you, you're going to be okay. It's going to be okay. You're going to you're going to get back on track again. Because one of the things I was convinced of is after I did that, like, who's going to ever want to have me as a pastor again? Like, this crazy guy who, you know, is he going to be dependable? Is he just going to turn around and quit again? You know, that, that kind of a thing. And, and then my dad, my dad did something, offered something that just blew me away. He offered to fly to Texas to be with me. Now, why is that such a big deal? Because my dad was convinced that if he ever got in an airplane, that plane would go down. So my dad was, so that was like, nobody had ever heard those words come out of my dad's lips before. So I knew at that moment, boy, dad, dad loves me. That was huge for me, okay? My dad was humble with his son that day. 
He identified with me in my failure by acknowledging failure in his life. He didn't judge me. He didn't say one critical thing. The very opposite. He was kind. He was understanding. He was encouraging. He spoke words of confidence into me, and he cared for me in, in a big-time way. And I can't think of any greater gift than a father could give to his son or his daughter. It breathed hope into this 30-year-old guy who was about as down on himself as anyone could possibly get. And it's a huge part of the reason, really, that I was able to, to step back into the ministry again and, and follow God's call in my life. That's what humility does for others. It's why being humble, not having a need to be more than you are, is one of the most powerful principles to live by, to live out this principle in all of your relationships with people. I cannot tell you how important it is, parents, for you and your relationship with your children. It'll make all the difference in their life. It, it, it can be the difference between them succeeding and, or failing in their life, being humble, identifying with them by acknowledging your own failures, showing kindness and understanding, encouraging them, and expressing your confidence in them. i got to tell you, then I don't care how old you get as a kid. <laughs> That's important from your parent. It's equally important in the life of the person you're married to. And what will soon be 42 years of marriage, I, can, I can't even begin to count the number of times Becky's given this gift to me. You know, I mentioned, I think it was three weeks ago when I talked about speaking life-giving words into each other, and I, I said, Becky, you know, send me a text saying that I'm her hero. I got to tell you, there's times when she said things like that to me when I felt like I was nobody's hero. But just a failure, you know. I blew it maybe as a dad, or I wondered, man, can I really lead a church or whatever. And, and Becky has, has humbled him, herself, and, and she's identified with me in my weakness, and she's encouraged me, and she spoke words of confidence into me. Now, you can do this with every relationship you have. I'm convinced it's one of the things people are waiting for. It's a huge need in people's lives. It's a gift you can give to your parents. It's a gift that you can give to your brother or to your sister. It's a gift you can, you can give to your friends or to your neighbors. I had a conversation with one of my neighbors a few weeks ago that just kind of blew me away because it was suddenly that opportunity to do that. You can do it with your coworkers, your classmates. It's a gift you can give. If you're in a small group, it's a gift you can give to each member of your small group. And every time you do it, it'll breathe hope and confidence into them, and they'll be a better person for it. Uh, in my personal time in God's Word, recently I was reading in the last chapter of John's Gospel, and it's, it talks about uh, the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples on if you're familiar with the story, but Peter got the guys to go out fishing again, and, and they fished all night, and they didn't catch a single fish. And they're still out in the water early in the morning. It's like the sun hasn't still come up yet, and, 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 and Jesus is on the shore, and he calls out to them, and he said, Have you, did, you, did you catch anything? And they didn't know who he was yet. They didn't recognize him, and they said, no, we haven't caught anything, and and he, I love this story, he said, well, why don't you put your net, try one more time, put your net on the other side of the boat, 
And, and they catch more fish than they've ever caught. In fact, I love this. That they actually counted the number of fish. I would too, I guess, if that. 153 that they had. And they come back to shore, and, and Jesus is there, and there's a very loving picture. He, the, he has a fire going. There's fish on the fi- uh, uh, you know, over the coals of fire, and he's got warm bread waiting for them. That's, I would imagine it's kind of cool out, you know. And, I mean, it's just a picture of him loving each one of these guys. And I, I just think of how symbolic that must have been. You know, they saw him feed 5,000 people with fish and bread, and now he's, he's feeding them. And, and, and then he has this conversation with Peter. This is the part I love. Peter who di- denied him. How many times? Three times. And I don't think it's any accident. I think it was totally intentional that Jesus did this for Peter. Three times he asked Peter if he loved him. Do you love me, Peter? And Peter said, oh yeah, I love you. And then Jesus said, well, feed my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? Oh, yeah, I love you, Lord. Care for my lambs. Do you love me, Peter? Oh, yeah, Lord. Care for my sheep. See, I'm convinced that Jesus did that with purpose. He he wanted Peter to understand that he still had confidence in him. He, he, He wanted Peter to understand that he still had purpose in him. And I'm convinced that that was a defining moment in Peter's life. It's what gave him the strength and the courage to serve Jesus Christ the rest of his life. So many verses of Scripture that tell us to do the same for others. I, I just found, yeah, be kind and compassionate to one another. Uh, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved by God, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, and there it is, humility and gentleness and patience. I just loved how humility is just wrapped in there with all of those. And, and, then, and then this statement, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. And and then Peter himself wrote this. He he said, finally, all of you be like-minded. He's coming to the end of his letter. So it's like at the very end, he said, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble, humble. The great thing about this you know what's really great? So much fun. I, I don't think there's anything more rewarding than seeing the difference you can, for good you can make in another person's life. Be there for them when they're at their lowest point, when they have blown it, when they have failed, when they've done something that's dumber than dumb or something that's morally wrong, and, and they're just, they just don't know if they've got it anymore. Be there for that person. And see the difference it makes in, in their life. And it'll give you more joy than anything else. And here's what else it does. Do this for another person and you've got a friend for life. I, I, I love the way uh, Dr. Cloud described this. He, he, he writes, uh, <clears throat> he writes, okay. Um, all right. This is what he said. Uh, said, beyond the obvious gift that humble givers are to others, they also develop a, a lot of relational equity over time. Okay? Get that? Relational equity. 
They create true networks of care in their lives. They experience high-quality relationships as a result of their high quality of giving and understanding. That's so true, isn't it? By the way, by the way, I thanked my dad. I really thanked him for being willing to fly to Texas, but I said, Dad, you don't have to do that. And I can just imagine the relief on the other side, you know? And, and as, far as, as far as I know, my dad never stepped foot in an airplane, you know, and he lived to 84, and I'm convinced. I, I, I was trying to figure out, was there any time, and I'm sure dad never did it. Um, so, okay, just wanted you to know that. All right. So, first thing humility does is identify with others in their humanity with all of their weaknesses, and in doing this, you help that person succeed in life. Now, the second thing that humility does, it does for you yourself. It does for you yourself. It helps you succeed in life because when you're humble, it's then that you're able to ex accept and recognize and accept your own flaws and mistakes. And, and when you do this, then you're able to learn from your failures. You're able to learn from your failures. And you're able to, you're able to move forward and, and become the kind of person that you really want to be. I think the best way to say this as I was looking for a statement, is, is this. Humility gives you true self-confidence. All right? True self-confidence. You see, I, I, one of the th interesting things that I, I've observed in people over the, all these years I've been a pastor is how you can have these two things that come together in some people's lives where they're always trying to project that, they, that they're more than they are. There's this... There's this kind of mix of, of a lot of pride and a lot of insecurity in that kind of a person where they're always projecting some kind of an image of, of something that they, that they really aren't. And the, the funny thing about this is that they might not see what they're doing, but everybody else sees it. It's like they don't see themselves, but everybody else sees them. In fact, in Psalm 36, uh, David described this person this way. He said, uh, in, in his own eyes, or her own eyes, he flatters, or she flatters himself or herself too much to detect or hate his sin. Okay? I, I think that's a very scary place to be. Very very, very scary place to be. The humble person is at the very opposite place. And here's why. They don't have anything to protect. They don't have this thing they've done in their life where they feel like they've got to preserve some, some kind of an image of themselves. They don't have this need because they see themselves in their weaknesses. And because of this, they do two things very well. And this is challenging, I think, for all of us. Two things that build success into their lives. Number one, they, they admit it quickly when they're wrong. Okay? They admit it quickly. It's not this big time delay. And second, they receive correction and confrontation, confrontation from others well. Well, okay? Just leave that there for a minute. The truth is, everybody, we learn and we grow when we admit our mistakes 
And when we welcome correction from another person as a gift, do both of these and you become a better person for it. This, this is really one of the surest signs of wisdom in a person's life. Here's how Solomon saw this. He, he writes this in Proverbs chapter 9. He said, whoever corrects a mocker, and the other word for mocker is a fool, invites insult. You correct somebody who's a fool, they're going to insult you back. Whoever rebukes a wicked man and cures abuse, someone who is wicked and, and they're, they're just determined to do what's wrong, they're, they're going to come back and attack you. He said, do not rebuke a mocker, a fool, or he will hate you. And then he said this, rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Instruct a wise man, and he'll be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, and he will add to his learning. Absolutely right. So if you want to succeed in life, if you want to grow as a person, if you want to become a better person, if you want a life that's working for you, where you're able to live with a profound sense of purpose and joy in your life that is not dependent on your circumstances or other people, if you want to maximize the one life that God's given you to live, then two of the best ways to make this happen is to have the humility to admit it quickly when you've done wrong and to receive correction and confrontation from others well. Without question, this eighth principle, be humble, is a winner. It's a winner. It's a game changer. In some ways, it doesn't get any bigger in significance. Live it out, and it makes all the difference on how well life goes for you, for others whose lives you impact, and for your own life, for yourself. It's a difference, really, between living a life that, that's merely average or mediocre and living a life that's great. Several years ago, I read a book by, uh, written by Jim Collins. It's a business book. Uh, it's a book on leadership, and the title of the book is Good to Great. And, and, and what this book was about is the results of a study that he did of, of companies that where, where they, they were good. They were average, okay? They, nothing special about them, just good. All you'd say, that's a good company. What it was that took them from being an average, uh, uh, a good company, to becoming a great company? What was it in the leader of that company that, that made that happen? That, that, what was the number one characteristic of that of that person. And he was surprised by the result. It wasn't because they were more brilliant than everybody else. It wasn't that they had some kind of a unique ability to be strategic in their thinking. It wasn't their education. It wasn't all of their experience. It wasn't even that they were the right person at the right time. It was their humility. It was their humility. It was that they were not driven by their own ego. Instead, they were living for something that was far greater and far more important than themselves. Why, I thought about that book, and I thought about what we're talking about today, and, I, and it, it, it occurred to me that really, really, there, this is something, if there's any group of people, this should be true of. Humility. It's those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. After all, this is what Jesus Christ is. 
Not was, is. He still is. He's humble to the core. Jesus Christ was not driven by who he is, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God. That, that isn't what he hung on to, that, that equality with God. But he humbled himself. And he went to a cross, and he died for you, and he died for me. And in doing that, he made it possible for you and I, for each one of us, to maximize the one life that God's given to us. And maximizing it at, at its ultimate, is, he made it possible for us to bring glory to God. So Paul was right when he wrote this, and I want to finish with Scripture. He said, he said your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, or made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as, as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Let's pray and then we'll worship, okay? Father, I, uh, I'm so grateful to you for your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord Jesus, I worship you and I praise you this morning because you were humble and you came to this earth and you just gave, it, it gave up everything because you love us and you died for us and you took our sin on yourself so that we can become like you. That's amazing. And I praise you. Amen.